Oh, good morning. Welcome to 6-8. Wow, I cannot wait to get back to normalcy. I'm going to take this off. Hey, man, I get to take this off. You all have to wear yours, but I get to... I'm done. I'm done for the next whatever. I'm done for the next two hours. I don't have to wear... No, I'm not going to preach for two hours. Um... By the way, we are going to do uh, communion later, and I just want to say this now so that I don't forget. We are uh, celebrating that with these little nifty cups and stuff where you peel off the bottom and there's a wafer in there, and then you peel off the top and you can, you can do that yourself. So I, I won't, I, I'll probably forget that later, so I wanted to say it. Let me pray before we get into this this morning. Father, we thank you that you are present, that you are here, that you are a God that loves us, showers us with grace, cares for us, and walks through life with us, Father. And you are building something in us and building us something in our families and in this church, and that hopefully will overflow and pour out into our community and to the world. We ask that you would speak to us today in only the way that you can, not in the way that some guy up here with a microphone can, but in that way where you whisper into our hearts by the power of your Spirit, and you convict us in joyous and powerful ways, changing our lives. And we invite that. We ask that you would uh, do that today. We pray that you would mark off the boundaries of this property, Father, and drive away anything, spiritual or otherwise, that would keep us from focusing on you right now, on worshiping your name, and growing deeper in understanding of who you are. Come and be glorified by what I say in the next few minutes and also by our worship and our prayer as we finish out this service. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, um, I, uh, I I don't know if you know, we were in this little short four-week series and... Um, I'm going to put my glasses on. You're all fuzzy. Um, and uh, we this is the second week into it. And... Um, it's called soul life, right? So we're talking about, you know, uh, last week we talked about our interior soul life, our, our own individual walk with Christ and things like that. And today we're asking the question, how's your family? How's your family? That's a good question, right? Now, I don't want you uh, single folks to tune out because that's... you. This, you have family too. I don't want kids to tune out because I'm speaking to you as well today, all right? So just remember that. How's your family, right? Uh, scripture has a few thoughts about family, but it's not really that exhaustive. Um, and here are just a couple from the book of, of Ephesians, some you might be familiar with. Firstly, for husbands and wives, it says, however, each one of you, speaking to husbands, also must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband, Ephesians 5.23. Then for kids, it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, 6.1. And finally, a great verse. If you've never read this verse, this is a great verse for parents. Do not exasperate your children, right? <laughs> How many parents exasperate their children? Exasperate, I looked up the definition. It's basically like frustrate somebody to the, the point that they are so angry, you know, and gosh, I've watched parents do that quite a bit, right? 
Um, now, these are topical studies these next four weeks, and so we're not necessarily expositing all this Scripture word for word as we might do otherwise. Rather, we're, at, we're taking a bird's-eye view of family relationships in light of Scripture. And so I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. I want you to mull these thoughts over and also take action where you feel like the Spirit is leading you. All right? Um, the concept of family is touchy. It really is. Some of us don't have great families. Uh, maybe some of us have no family at all. My, uh, my uh, fifth child came, walked across Ethiopia by himself at 10 years old to, to a, a refugee camp in Kenya since his mom died and he's never met his father and he doesn't have any siblings. He has nobody, right? And so he gets over here and now, <laughs> sorry, he's with us. Amen to that, right? Um, if you're in one of those situations, if, if, if family is just not that great or if you don't have a family, think of your, your, your faith family here at church, you know, these people sitting in this room. We also know that the, the definition of family has been and will continue to be challenged in our lifetimes as we continue with, uh, you know, just what's going on out in society. But in the Christian context, we speak of the family in the traditional sense uh, unapologetically, father, biologically father, a male, right? Uh, mother, biologically a, a female, uh, and children and beyond into our extended family relationships. We, we understand all that. But the family in the Christian context can easily become an idol for us. Uh, especially back in the 80s, I remember this really be, be, being a big deal. Something which sort of takes the place of Jesus, in a sense, right? Uh, we all have met those Christians where their whole Christianity is, is stuck on the concept of just guarding the, the sort of traditional family value. And they're missing in that they miss the greater call of, uh, uh, in Scripture, of God in Scripture, for us to go out and reach the nations for Christ, right? They're, they're just, you know, everything becomes about guarding our rights and things like that. When, you know, gosh, forget it. Forget all that. Just go out and, and share Christ, right? So we agree with this sort of traditional model, yet it's when family overtakes all else, becoming the central goal of faith, that uh, we're on shaky ground. Families are to be a model of Christ to the world, right? Uh, a spiritual sort of incubator preparing us for ministry and life. About time you got here, Mom. It's my mom and dad. <laughs> 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 I know that was evil. Sorry, mom. Um, but you know, if we look at the Christian life, I am to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and everything else will be added into my life, right? As I seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, I encourage my family along the way to do the same thing for themselves and also as a unit together, right? And this may be hard to understand, and I don't mean this to be in the negative, but, but Jesus comes before my wife and kids. Jesus comes before my wife and kids. But Jesus calls me to love my wife and kids towards him, right? And he would never call me to forsake my wife and kids. Right, so let's 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 put this in perspective. And I expect my my kids and my wife to have the same outlook towards me. You know, I'm to be a good father, a good husband, and a model in their lives. So they are very important to me. 
albeit secondary to my allegiance in Christ. It's it's within this dichotomy, this this almost this tension, when I am following Jesus really strongly, walking with Him, then and only then am I the best husband and father that I could ever be. When I'm intimately connected with Christ, so my family should should observe that I am personally enthralled with Jesus and enthralled with His directives. They should see me as a broken man in need of Jesus myself, walking in conviction and principle with Him, not hiding all my junk, right? And vice versa, if they're walking strongly with Jesus, they are also the best wife, mother, child, brother, or sister that they could possibly be in this world. Therefore, our first concern is internally walking with Jesus as we spoke of last week, and that's why it was the first sermon in the series, because it sets the tone for all the, the, the weeks to follow, right? I can't expect any of that for them without me striving towards it myself. And if moms and dads, if you don't remember anything today, remember that, right? I have one close friend whose family is an absolute mess. None of you know him, by the way. He is constantly trying to fix them, right? Uh, All the while, his own life is sort of just in a, a total disarray and shambles, right? They have no respect for him, nor do they follow him, almost, and although almost everything he says is correct out of his mouth, because he doesn't model conviction himself. He doesn't live it all himself. You want your kids to enjoy and be devoted to Christ and, you know, and, you know, then enjoy and be devoted to Christ yourself. Walk with Jesus well. Go to church regularly. Right? Involve yourself. Attend a community group. And if they won't go, then you go. Model it until it makes a difference. You can't force something on your children or your your spouse that you don't passionately follow yourself. Amen, right? It doesn't matter how right you are if you're not willing to live this Jesus thing out yourself. So how many parents do you hear in the world that say that their kids are going down the wrong path? They wish that they were, they were following Jesus, that they had faith, and that they were devoted and active in their local church, but rarely do mom and dad go themselves, <laughs> right? It's much more about what, uh, what we live than what we say. Our words are only given power when they are modeled to someone else. The church is involved in your kid's spiritual development. That is for sure. But as a parent, you are their spiritual authority. You are their primary model. You are their teacher in life. So we can't think that we can drop the kids off, right? And then have this all magically happen to them when mom and dad don't model it themselves. Again, if you leave here with anything, leave here with that point. And I'm not talking, by the way, about faking it. Right? That's not what I'm talking about. 
I'm referring back to what we talked about last week, that when we are personally, internally focused on Jesus, obeying His directives, finding joy in them, devoted to the local church and and the kingdom directives to which He calls us, then that is actually attractive and demanding of respect in this world. It's influential. It changes people. If you can't submit to church life and authority then your kids won't be able to either, and no matter what you say. If you say they should go to church, but only occasionally go, and then complain about it yourself when you do, your words are emptied of power. I'm lingering on this, aren't I? Yeah. See, you get it. Repetition teaches. If you never say no to your kids for the sake of ministry... Ministry will not seem important to them at all. Now, this, of course, is in balance, right? Attention to them is part of your calling, right? You're, you're to be attentive to your kids. They, but they need, yet they need to see that ministry outside of the family is sometimes more important than their felt need in the moment. They need to see mom and dad actually caring about the world around them and doing ministry to others. And better yet, inviting them into that process with you, right? If you constantly exasperate your children on small, insignificant things, they'll not listen when you demand the more important. So what's more important, that your daughter has a nose ring or that she's walking with Jesus? What's more important, that she wears or he wears ripped pants or that they, you know, they are in love with Jesus and they're, they're active in their faith community. See, too often we as parents take the moralist route and we exasperate our kids, teaching them that faith doesn't have answers and it's just a set of restrictive rules that they can't really live with. And what we find out is that many of our rules are preference anyway, right? And our kids are unique individuals with their own preferences, Let them fail. Let them live. Let them explore. Let them be themselves. But be there to walk through it with them. Right? Lead them back to Jesus when when need be. Be there to pick up the spiritual pieces. Be consistent. We're convicted by Scripture to tend carefully to our families for sure. And when a family member looks into our eyes, do they... Understand that we are, we are devoted to Christ ourselves. And that that devotion means that your role as father or husband or mother or, or wife or child or parent is important because it is important to Christ. That the love of Christ births in you a love and a devotion towards them as, as, their, as your family. Would they know that you love and accept them in Jesus or do they think that you just have this list of demands that they have to acquiesce to, in other words, to get to your approval? How does that communicate grace to them? How did God communicate grace to you? Ephesians 5.21 speaks to the marriage relationship by directing us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Remember, men, it's not just that, it doesn't just say wives submit to your husbands. It says submit to to each other out of reverence for Christ. 
I think we can extend that to the parent-child relationship given all these other directives that we find in Scripture concerning relationships, Christian relationships. I have a good friend who models this well uh, for me in his family life. He's a father and a husband. He has two girls, both out of college. Uh, I've watched them grow over the years. Um, he oversees a large ministry. He's, he's far from perfect. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yet he's taught me not to hide all my junk from my family. He wears his need for Christ openly in front of his children and his wife. They see him fail. He doesn't hide it, right? They see him repent. Otherwise, how would they know how to live that way themselves? He doesn't shelter his children, but he lets them face life and then he walks it all through with them. They watch as he pursues God's kingdom first in his own personal walk, and they follow as he does. And many times he challenges them to be involved in ministry along with him. They see his frustrations and his struggles in ministry as well as his joys, and he just models it all really well. If all his faults and all his sin were hidden away from his wife and his kids, they would have a false model to shoot for because dad would just seem perfect and they would be overcome with guilt and feeling that they could never measure up. Ask my son Tanner back there if, I got, if I've got some sin in my life. He'll tell you. He knows it. <laughs> see, when dad models brokenness and neediness before Jesus, then they see that they don't have to be perfect, right? That, but rather, they just have to be consistently repentant in their walk in life. They can operate uh, you know, on principle and courage, rising again time after time, developing the ability to make wise decisions and grow in their faith. His daughter, being an actress, has been confronted with doing nude scenes in, uh, you know, in film as, as a Christian. And instead of him just telling her that she can't do that, he led her through the conversation, asking her what that would mean to her witness and her faith, and he left the decision to her. She is an adult, Right? And it's impressive to me that she went to him before anybody else with that question, which speaks of his model and and the respect that he has with his children. A living model practicing repentance and belief before his family. In short, when family members are practicing healthy inner habits that we spoke of last Sunday, then they naturally uh, will love and encourage one another towards Christ themselves. Not in controlling moralistic ways, but in healthy, grace-filled ways. There's a big difference. Remember, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Right? No one will follow what you say until they see you live what you say. So your family is a divine treasure. Do you think about it that way? And we've got to look at our families as a divine treasure for us to serve and to steward and invest in them and to love them well. Like the uh, parable of ten, the talents in, in Luke 19, we, we invest in them, right? Le- you know, learning the discipline of thanksgiving for family members is like putting on glasses, you know, a different pair of glasses to see them, see these people differently, to see them in the light of what God sees them or how God sees them. God, and see, and, and when we can do that, God changes families through loving family members. 
My family has changed me. They've stretched me. They've blessed me. And as I look at each one of them, with all of their unique makeup, I, 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 I identify different reasons why God has put them in my life. All of those changes my family has given me have been in the positive. They make me a better man. Sometimes, you know, these situations in our family are very trying. We've gone through difficult times in our family, but they always tend towards the positive if handled under the guidance of Christ. Proverbs 31.10 says this, A wife of noble character who can find, she is worth far more than rubies. Proverbs 18.22, He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. Do you think about your wife that way, guys? You know, I hate those commercials. On the radio, it's like a local, I don't know who it is, Norman, Norman the Floorman, I think it is, maybe, maybe it's him. I, if it's not him, I should apologize. But, but, you know, he always has these stupid sexist jokes before he starts his commercials. And one of them says, he goes, he goes my wife said you're going to be really unhappy. I'm going to leave you. And so he says back to his wife, well, which one is it going to be? Am I going to be really unhappy or are you going to leave me? I mean, what a bad joke, right? It's such bad, horrible taste. Like, how do you view your wife? What if Apple developed a pair of glasses that when you stuck them on, every time you looked at one of your family members, you would see, you know, instead of all the negatives, you would see all the blessings that they bring to you in relationship. Wouldn't that be a nice pair of glasses? See, we live so closely in our family lives that we tend to focus only on the negative. However, there's a reason God has put these people in your life. You know, so I put on my new Apple glasses and instead of negative message popping up and I look at my wife, Kim, positive things pop up, right? How she drives me to appreciate nature and sunshine and flowers and gardening and brings a constant love of learning and exploration to our relationship. You know, if we go on a hike, she just takes off. I, she, she can't stop. It's like, oh, what's around the next corner? What's around the next corner? I, it's a little frustrating at times, but I love it about her. She constantly takes care of me in a myriad of ways and she serves me and loves me physically through food quite a bit, right? And she encourages me in my health and and she brings deeper ideas and thoughts to my ministry and life. She's my backpacking buddy. I love going backpacking with my wife. She makes me laugh and it just makes me happy to see her happy. Psalm 127.3 says, Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him, for him. Now, you know, I used to always hate that how people, like, just badmouth teenagers. The majority of teenagers, like, I've already raised four kids into, you know, young adulthood. Their, their friends are great kids. You guys, I mean, the teenagers, think about that. You guys are great. I mean, I, I have they, the negativity that is spouted about teenagers and junior high schoolers and all that stuff is not warranted. Most of them are really great people. Sorry, that's a little side note. But, but what if I put on my glasses and instead of focusing on, my, on messy rooms and homework undone, I could see all, in all my kids the joy which God has blessed me with in them. 
how they bring music to my world and crafts and a love of art and how they have such a great sense of humor and they brighten my days and, and they teach me so much about deepening my deepening relationship with Jesus and, and the Father's love over me just by being my children. They keep me a little bit relevant too as I get older. How the responsibility of being their dad pushes me to, into Christ-likeness every single day of my life. What role does a family have in nurturing your spiritual health over a lifetime? What gifts given you by your family or your church have most impacted you in a great way? Too often we focus on all the negative tapes playing in our heads instead of focusing on the blessing that they bring. At one point, and you know, if you if you hang around this church long enough, you're going to understand I I reuse some illustrations because some of my favorites and you know some stories that are my favorites but you know I, at one and I think I've told you this before but Kim and I weren't doing well at one point and I was I was really was a bear to live with I was I was horrible Kim Kim will admit she has a hard time uh, showing compassion during those times and 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 I needed compassion at that time I wasn't handling my stress well and you know her lack of compassion towards me sort of compounded the issue and we were kind of both at fault you know, we weren't doing well together. And a good friend of Kim's wisely said to her, I'm going to pray that you have compassion on your husband. And she did. It was like, it was like a, just the lights went on. You know, she, Kim changed. And when she viewed me through that lens of, of Christ-like compassion, we were both changed. We were both lifted up. It, it was a turning point, a very dark time in our marriage. And her compassion enabled me to look inwardly and to come to grips with how really difficult I was being towards her and towards others. And I was able, and, you know, I was then able to see her, her as the blessing that she really is in my life good stuff. Your family is a divine treasure. Your family is also a discipleship tool, tool, right? Ephesians 6, 2 and 3 say, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have long life on earth. And that really, all these verses really speak about being discipled and discipling in our family relationships. You know, across history, across faith history, families haven't only been considered to be the central unit of society in the development of good citizens, which they have up until recently. Families were also seen as spiritual sort of greenhouses where, you know, character and identity and faith are nurtured on a daily basis towards maturity and and adulthood. You know, we're currently losing that family model in America, aren't we? It's challenged all the time. Right now, there's such a great cultural current into breaking down the family and its influence, which is something the Christian must resist at all costs. Not in a militant way, but we really must model it well. So do we see our homes as sort of spiritual training grounds, right? Where we learn to love first and in order to better fulfill our calling from Christ, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, to go out and reach all nations for the, for the sake of His glory. How does family life bring a calling for Christ-like character in you in the modeling of Jesus in life? Think about how He laid down His life for you, even in your sin. Right? Who went to the cross 
as everyone else abandoned him. Think about what that means as you live out those difficult growth moments in the spiritual incubator of family when they hurt you and when they disappoint you and when they abandon you. What did Jesus do when we hurt him or we abandoned him or we disappointed him? He went to the cross. And that's what we do for our family members over and over and over again. All of us are children of someone, right? Honoring father and mother is much more about you than it is for mom and dad. A chance, it is a chance to step up to the sort of self-sacrificial plate of the Christian life. It's a chance to learn something about your walk with Jesus. To model Jesus to the people that are closest to you. And, and, and even when they know the worst about you and you them. That's where the rubber really meets the road. Where else do we have such an opportunity for spiritual growth in our lives? Except for in the incubator of family life. I've been taught how to sacrifice in those times when I've had to lay down my desire to be right or win an argument for the sake of relationship and peace in my family. It's taught me I'm not always right. I'm just not. These people need me, uh, need, you know, need more than just me being right. They need understanding. They need love. They need nurturing. They need encouragement. Here, here's one of my favorite illustrations again but Mike Birbiglia a great comedian I has a great stand-up comedy routine called my girlfriend's boyfriend <laughs> where he, he like shows up to his 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 girlfriend's house for dinner with a family and her her ex-boyfriend's there like buddying up with, with his dad it's terrible um, but in that whole routine he chases his his meeting and his dating and his married life with his now wife Jenny And he constantly says during the whole routine that he doesn't believe in the concept of marriage, right? It's just not something he believes in, right? And although this illustration is about their marriage, I I think it's applicable across family relationships. Because he states in the beginning that, you know, I have a problem in relationships that when I believe that I am right about something, that it becomes a source of tension in the relationship. Because he adds, I'm right. You know, how many men are like that? Well, I'm right, you know. And through it all, he speaks on how his wife, uh, how, his, how this comes up over and over between he and his wife uh, in their relationship. When we hear that sentiment also, I think, coming out in the parent-child relationship. Well, we just think we're right. And hammer somebody, right? And he talks about how they argue and she constantly says, you know, she ends each argument abruptly with the statement, that's how I feel, period. That's how I feel. No more argument, right? Because you can't argue that, right? It doesn't matter if he's right. Logic doesn't factor. It's how she feels. In other words, at some point he's lost that connection and he can't get it back. And he says, well, if you think I'm so wrong about everything, then why are you with me? And she says, because you can't choose who you love. Now, that's true to some extent. You're born into your family, right? These are your people. You fall into love in a, in a, in a sense. You don't really choose. It, it's almost like these relationships are divinely given, right? But you can choose to love them well in those relationships. 
I remember my friend's wedding as he and his wife uh, stood before the pastor and the pastor said, one day you will meet another person that you could have married. And he said, and when that happens, remember your commitment towards your spouse today. Right? Because in romantic relationships, it's good to remember that we have to choose well in finding another who shares our convictions and belief and faith in Christ. Our choice in a spouse has to share our, all these things, their beliefs, values, and convictions in Christ. And the temptation is often that you feel that you've fallen in love with someone, and, and, but in real, reality, if they don't share these things, you are inviting a great deal of difficulty on the both of you and on your future children if you get married to that person. Do not be, that's why scripture says, do not be unequally yoked. Th- that's the most intimate physical relationship that you have. That person has to share the same things that you share. You know, I personally, as a pastor, I will not do a wedding where, uh, for a couple where the, once one person is not a Christian and the other one is. I just won't do the wedding. I also won't do the wedding between two people that are split majorly between major denominations, such as a Catholic and a Protestant. I won't do it. Because you've got to share these things. Mike Birbiglia points out that you can't argue that statement, that's how I feel. But he learned something through it. He learned surrender. Surrender. He learned what, he, what, what she feels is important. She's not a mathematical equation, you know, but she's a, there, she's a complexity of affection and sort of needs and will and thoughts and all that kind of stuff, and sometimes even differing opinions than his. I'd say he learned Christ-like self-sacrifice. Forced to love beyond his selfish need and desire just to be right or just to win the argument. He learned wisdom. The ability to look beyond right and wrong, uh, you know, sort of behind the curtain of a person's soul to the deeper reasons why they do what they do or they say what they say. That takes work. And he begins the whole routine pointing out how gymnasts, you know, you know, how gymnasts will be going along and they'll be doing their routine. It'll be going perfectly. Then they'll trip and they'll fall and they'll roll around on the floor or the mat or whatever else. And then they'll stand up. Suddenly they'll recover. They'll stand up and they'll hold their hands above their heads and like as if nothing happened. Right. And that was it. You know, they're done. And by the end of his routine, he, he relates his relationship to his wife in the same way. You know, he says he's, life was going along so well. He's like, you know, doing really well in life. And then Jenny shows up and she screws up his world and he falls down and he's rolling around and, you know, he doesn't know what to do. Love enters his life. He's just a mess. And he, and, and, and so finally, in the end, he stands up in victory with his hands held high and he's happily married. And in conclusion, he says, I may still not believe in the concept of marriage, but I believe in her. And I've given up the need to be right. Sometimes being in a relationship is like that. You're doing so well, but then you fall and you tumble around, be it you know, with wife or husband or kids or parents, and, but somehow you learn and somehow God speaks in that. And we stand up with arms stretched over our heads together. Victorious. 
Many people give up too soon. And what you find out when you do that is that you've created your opus. Another one of my favorite illustrations is Mr. Holland's Opus. Great movie, old movie, but a great movie. You know, Opus is a great work, right? It's a movie about this high school band teacher who's, you know, dissatisfied with his job. You know, he he wants his whole life, you know, to be about writing this great score of music and to be known for that, right? But he's just a band teacher. So on the side, he's writing this whole thing, this whole great, you know, orchestrated thing or whatever. And, you know, but but at home, he's just got this regular wife and he's got a, a deaf child. He doesn't feel can share with his music. And you watch him as he fails and he and he tumbles and he falls around and and all throughout, you know, the the whole time he's writing his 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 great piece of work on the side. And the and 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 at the end his wife and child bring together all of his current and past students to play his final piece and he realizes that that happens like a big surprise to him that his great accomplishment is is not this his music but it's his family and his community what if we could create such a great opus of work with the gospel through our families reaching out and overflowing into our communities. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Maybe the falls and the tumbles are a chance to learn. Maybe being right, whether you're a kid or a parent or a spouse, isn't really that important all the time. And Mike Merbiglia might not realize it, but he does believe in marriage because he did it. His words don't matter as much as his actions. All of his logical arguments against why marriage is a bad thing, they all fall apart because he's found it's not so important to be right as it is to be committed to love and to nurturing his wife well and all that kind of stuff. And that's marriage. Finally, your family is a mission field. Proverbs 22.6 says, Start children off in the way that they should go, And even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Why is it so important, ask yourself, to God that we cultivate a model and and model a living faith in our home? And why can't we just get away with faking it? We can't, by the way. You can't just get away with faking it. Tending to our families is not an easy task. It feels like falling and tumbling, you know, often, right? Right? No matter how hard you try, you can't hide your faults in your family. A prophet's never accepted in his own hometown, right? Unless that prophet actually goes to the cross, modeling Jesus first and foremost to their family. Then and only then might they be accepted because people actually respond to loving sacrifice. Then they'll listen. Everyone in a family has needs and dreams and a unique calling, you know, which demands sacred care from those who will walk them across life as as a family member, right? When we begin to see our family as our very first church, this incubator, we can care for one another with the backing of heaven. As a pastor, I have to remember that I pastor my family. 
you may not possess that role as pastor, but a pastor is just pretty much a paid teacher, disciple maker, spiritual guide, right? That kind of thing. And in our families, that is what we do. I'm discipling my wife and kids, and they do the same for me in a sense. Kids, you know, listen up, and, and we're all kids by, you know, at some level. Remember this term, lead up, lead up, right? Although you're in the role of a child, some of you, I see some younger people in here today. It, although you're in the role of a child, you are still able to lead up to your parents, They'll not always be perfect. They'll not always make the right decisions, but you can sort of help them by leading up. By the way, we parents hardly understand what we're doing. Everything is new to us, <laughs> right? I mean, for goodness sakes, when you have your first kid, you never had a kid before. I didn't know what the, like, am I going to break it, right? I don't know, like, even when you have multiple kids, they're different, and they re- react to life differently. We don't know what we're doing half the time. That's a little secret. And instead of getting upset with mom and dad, try being obedient. Try being obedient. Become a solution in your family. Become a voice of wisdom. You have the Holy Spirit in your life as well. You do. And you also are commissioned to the task of loving your family well in Jesus. Kids don't get a break in this. You have a responsibility too. And moms and dads have a lot of pressure. You may not be able to see why they are reacting the way that they are. Maybe something happened at work. Maybe something happened somewhere else. Instead, have compassion on mom and dad, right? Have compassion on your parent as people that are doing the best they can with what they got. I see all moms and dads like, yeah, thank you. Thanks for saying that, right? Each one of your family members has a gifting, a calling, and a life in Christ to which we're called to identify and nurture along. Some of the most cherished moments in my life are those brief conversations with my wife or kids where where it's evidence that they trust my judgment because they've seen me walk this out. And then they share something very deep and powerful in, in their life and we get to talk through it. So remember, your families are a divine treasure, a discipleship tool, and a mission field. Follow Jesus strongly. Be a model. Be enthralled with him. Focus on the important things. Disciple and be discipled. Be a listening sort of ear and a compassionate, loving, directive force in your family. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness for yourself and invite your family members into that journey of faith along with you. Ask yourself, what's the greatest dream I have right now for one member of my family? How can I participate with God in the fulfillment of that dream in their lives? And then begin to pray for that and begin to speak into it and talk about it. Petition the Holy Spirit to give you direction for yourself and then and, and, and also your family members in this journey of faith as you tumble and you fall together. It's okay to be imperfect. Because in Christ, you will eventually stand together held high with, with your arms in the air in victory and more Christ-like as a result, as, as individuals and as a family unit. 
We are ending each sermon with a short testimony from somebody in our crowd. We heard from Steve Munns last week, and today we're going to hear from his beautiful wife, Beth Munns. So Beth is going to come up as I pray. Father, we thank you that you are King of kings and Lord of lords, that you love us, that in you we have this fatherhood, we even have this motherhood, these concepts that we can grasp hold of and understand. We have the concept of being a child in your arms. So we pray, Father God, that you would bless our families, cinch them together. I pray that if there is anything that is pulling a family apart, that that thing would lose its power and that you would have these people look at each other with wide open eyes of love and grace and acceptance of each other and begin to encourage and walk through this well.